It is time now for our resident historian, Felix Bunnell. The standoff between Russia and Ukraine has some parallels to the situation in Europe in the late 1930s that some people will find more than a little disturbing. Anytime I hear the word 1930s, I feel a little disturbed. <laughs> and that includes our resident historian, Felix Bunnell, who joins us now for a look back at those years of crisis brought to you by Lake Washington Windows and Doors. Morning, Dave. Yeah, all of us here today are too young to have any direct experience of Europe in the late 30s, of course. I don't know how much this is taught in high school or college history classes anymore. It's family history for me. Both my parents lived through all this, so I grew up kind of um, hearing about this from people who'd lived through it. I mean, before the U.S. entered World War II after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, Europe had been at war for more than two years already and had been in a run-up to war for most of the 1930s. And this guy named Neville Chamberlain, his name always comes up, even now in these times of diplomacy that precede a war— Chamberlain was prime minister of Great Britain, and he had the bad fortune of being in office when Hitler began actively moving beyond Germany's borders. You know, we'll come back to Hitler in a moment, or come back to, yeah, and Chamberlain, of course. Um, Hitler's first big territory grab was in March 1938, when Germany annexed Austria, what they called the Anschluss. Eerily similar to what's going on now, the annexation was in violation of treaties and agreements and included a sham plebiscite or vote among Austrians on the question of whether or not to be absorbed by Germany. And this was all just 20 years after the end of World War I and the Treaty of Versailles, which had penalized Germany for their aggression and created all kinds of new boundaries and new countries in Europe. And it was on that occasion of the Anschluss when Edward R. Murrow and William Shirer of CBS Radio organized the first live roundup of analysis from multiple European capitals. We carried it here on Cairo, of course. Now, one of the speakers in this country was actually a Democratic senator from Washington, a guy named Louis Schwellenbach. He did a really good job predicting the future for Hitler and Europe on March 13, 1938. We cannot deny the fact that Adolf Hitler today is Europe's leader. We tremble at what he will do next. We know what will become of religious liberty in Austria, both for the Jews and the Catholics. It just will not exist. We know what will happen to freedom of speech and of the press. They will be suppressed. Democratic processes for seven million Austrians are extinct. The probabilities are that he will press into Czechoslovakia, Romania, Hungary, and then on into the Ukraine. So, you know, those predictions came true just about six months later in September of 1938. Um, The land Hitler wanted was three separate areas of ethnic Germans, you know, German-speaking people in Czechoslovakia, who he said were being oppressed there by uh, by the Czechoslovakians, and he wanted to liberate them and everything. It was called the Sudetenland, named after a mountain range. He proclaimed the territory was rightfully part of Germany in a speech at Nuremberg in mid-September. That began two weeks of shuttle diplomacy with uh, Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain flying back and forth between London and Germany, ultimately giving Hitler everything he wanted. It all ended on September 30th, 1938, with Hitler's assurance to Chamberlain that his territorial expansion would end with the Sudetenland there in Czechoslovakia. Chamberlain famously came back and said there'd be peace in our time. Now, this is where Chamberlain, there's sort of mixed, mixed uh, verdict on him. Some call him an appeaser because of these negotiations, that this was weakness and only encouraged Hitler to do more. Others say it bought Great Britain critical time to ramp up for the inevitable conflict that was down the road with the Nazis, bought time for their military. And sure enough, you know, the Nazis took the rest of Czechoslovakia in March of 1939. They signed a non-aggression pact with the Soviet Union that summer. And then it all sort of kind of went, uh, everything went south when the Nazis invaded Poland on September 1st. That, that, was, that was preceded by false flag operations where they had Nazis pretending to be Polish soldiers attacking uh, parts of the German border. Now, this is part of a speech carried live by CBS um, with live translation. This is Hitler speaking on September 1st, 1939. I don't think we carried this on Cairo. This was too early in the morning. 
I told the Polish ambassador three weeks ago that if situation continued as it was, if Danzig were persecuted and were, it were attempted by Poland to ruin Danzig economically, the situation could not be tolerated. Anna, did you listen to that Putin speech on Monday? <laughs> yes, I did. It was so bizarrely like this, where you have this guy up there saying all these kind of fake These are history. our people. We share a common yeah. language, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and was... false history about these this fakely created country. I'm going to rescue them. They need us to protect them. It's all, it was well, the all Germans happening. staged an attack on a radio station. Exactly. Remember? That was a false flag operation yeah. and, and that started that preceded the attack on Poland, which was, you know, was in, the, in planning stages for months, and it was this full military mobilization. Um, and I remember at that, you gave a, a speech at that thing out at Vashon when we had the transmitter inaugurated for yeah. the emergency broadcast thing. You talked about how you turned the radio on early in the morning as a reassurance that the world hasn't gone to hell. Yes. My father was just like that, too, because every time he went camping, he always had his radio with him because he's a 16-year-old kid in Poland when this happens, working at an air base. His home burns down. He has to dig his ice skates out of the ashes after the, you know, when the, when the, the flames die down. And there's just a sense of, you know, we don't know what's going to happen at any moment. And the fact that radio can be, you can turn the radio on and hear what's going on is, is still pretty amazing today. And it's, it's scarily like preceding a big conflict where you have, and, and in 1938, the U.S. wasn't a superpower. And the Nazis didn't have nuclear weapons. So it's a really, it's, the stakes are even higher than they were in 1938. I think it's even scarier than it was probably even during the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. Well, if you go to Europe and, and visit, any of these, uh, visit any of these areas, we visited um, Stalingrad at one point, And you talk to people who, at least at that time in living memory, they remember the siege. They remember yeah. the, and, and the thing that, that people who have been in those war zones have in common is this feeling of absolute Helplessness. Yep. I, don't, I don't think any anybody that uh, in this generation quite understands it the way they did. Mm-hmm. It's where you can't get food, even yep. if you could afford it. You can't get food. There's no security because, and there are no rules because people are actively trying to kill you. Yep, just because you're there. I know a little bit about that feeling because of the ten days I spent in Baghdad, where there was constant uh, mortar fire. And you realize, oh, there's no defense against this, except maybe the net on the top of the hotel that was supposed to catch them before they yeah, hit the building yeah. and, and exploded. But there's, there's no one um, you know, out there saying, this is wrong. Don't go killing people. No, it was, it's, it's like open season in a war zone. And uh, I, I don't think you forget that if you've been through it. And this notion of all the diplomacy that was going on over the last couple months, the last couple weeks, and that still apparently is on the table— seems impossible with somebody who's a dictator, who isn't being truthful, doesn't have any real peaceful aims. They're just simply grabbing territory. It's going to be bizarre to see how this actually rolls out over the next several weeks, what this actually comes to. But there are so many eerie parallels. Not exactly the same, of course. That's dangerous yeah. to make comparisons like that. But, boy, we can learn a lot by looking at the late 1930s and Hitler when you talk at Putin in 2022. Felix Spinell, our resident historian, all his features at MyNorthwest.com. Thanks, Felix. Thanks, Dave.